0: this is mark arnold and welcome to fun ideas podcast number 208 the fun ideas podcast is brought to you in part by freaky magazine i contribute material to every issue so give it a try
1: hey kids have you read freaky the magazine of weird humor for freaks like you freaky magazine is a Way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Blah, and Zap. Special offer for fun ideas listeners get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to The Slow Poisoner gmail.com. That's the
2: slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last. On sale now is Mark Arlov's latest book, Called Pac-Man, the first animated show based upon a video game. This book tells the story of Pac-Man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the Hanna Barbera animation studios. The history of the video games Pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin offs the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980 series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring mini-character model sheets and other images, available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today.
1: Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait
3: a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store based on arbitrary standards set by Lee
1: Hister himself.
0: Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. Stars of Walt Disney Productions is my latest book out now. I am almost ready to turn in my manuscript for Unconditionally Mad. I'm also working on my TV Cartoons of Time Forgot book, plus articles on Nightmare the Galloping Ghost and Harvey Superheroes. On today's show, we have part two with animation experts Harry McCracken and Camden Spees. So here we go.
4: So Harry, as I was saying, Steve Stanfield had this whole... This little Zoom meeting i that he shared on Cartoon Research where he was sharing the progress of his King little king set. And I, and he was talking about how he'd love to do his scrappy set. And I'm like, you've got to get Harry McCracken mm-hmm. and Paula Chiveri to do the to do the writings for it. Everything's gotta be done by them.
3: Thank you. I mean yeah, I mean Steve is a real uh, along with everything else, Scene he knows he's a, a real champion of Scrappy, and I've always enjoyed um the stuff he's done on Cartoon Research. And um, I'm grateful that he usually Says nice things about Scrappy Land there.
4: I um I must ask though. I know that I imagine that the origins of Scrappy Land come from that article you wrote with Paul Traberry.
3: Uh that was Will Friedwald who uh, oh. wrote that wrote that article. Uh, that was uh, we were talking about Animania. That that was an Animania in uh, the early eighties. Uh, um, I, I think probably of mice and magic was the first time. Um, I learned about Scrappy at all. I, I can still remember where I was when I, I bought my copy yeah. of Mice and Magic. Which, and then-
4: which I think Leonard Maltin was a little critical on a lot of stuff, which I know Jerry didn't always agree with Leonard on everything he says, because I know Jerry's a big TV cartoon fan and all that. But the more you watch those Columbia cartoons, you really enjoy them, but you also like eh. <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of right that's a good way of describing it he's right yeah Uh, i i like those cartoons more than he does but he's on the nose
3: and then uh so in animania paul and uh, will did this big two-part article on scrappy uh which i read and enjoyed and i i can't i mean i can't actually remember why i decided to do scrappy land except at some point i learned there there was surprising amount of scrappy merchandise given that he was not on on the same level as a mickey mouse or popeye and a lot of it was kind of cool so i I started to buy some of it on ebay and i probably just decided it would be fun to share it and it appealed to me that i could create a website on a topic that nobody else was was likely to create a website on and to have the definitive website on that topic so i created scrappy land and um
4: i i actually I've actually come up with, unlike Oren's things, mine's gonna be very opinionated on websites. I'm gonna give my reviews. I did a list of my 10 favorite websites. Scrappy land is in my top four. Oh,
3: wow. Um, and then it, it occurred to me what Scrappy was mainly a black and white character. Why, why don't I make this website in black and white? Which most people seem to like, although I occasionally hear from people who object to that. And um, even though Scrappy why? is kind of a specific character, um, there's kind of just an endless amount of stuff to discover. I think some people don't take it as fun. They, they would like to see these beautiful, colorful Scrappy products I write about, um, but I always convert them into black and white in Photoshop. Yeah. And uh, the other cool thing is because there's only one Scrappy website, if you Google for Scrappy, you will come to it quickly. And so well, it, if you Google uh,
4: Scrappy, the first thing you come up with is Scooby Doo character.
3: I was trying not to mention that. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, other than that, you will find my, my website, and you know, relatives of people who work for Mints have found it, and um, people who have interesting scrappy products have found it. People occasionally send me scrappy merchandise for free just because, because they're nice. Um, how I got much to be scrappy good, stuff
4: do you think you have? I'm just curious.
3: I mean, I have dozens of items, a lot of which were pretty cheap, a few of which I paid a fair amount for. Um, I think I may be coming close to um having. Everything but there there are a few items I, I know that exist that I don't have there were there was a I have, there were several scrappy dolls and I have some of them, but there was this this great one who was actually fairly a, a pretty decent rendition of scrappy in three dimensions wearing a striped shirt um I don't have that one um there's this guy Mel Bernkrant. Are are you friends with him on Facebook?
4: I'm friends with them. I've I've gone through many talking back and forth <laughs> yes. with them. I'm I'm friends with them off Facebook too. So uh, Mel
3: has an astounding collection of of cartoon memorabilia and he is he is most famous for his Mickey Mouse stuff, but he has a lot of scrappy products and he has a stall that has evaded me so far. And I also recently found a, a photograph of um, a scrappy model airplane, which I have never actually seen at all. And those are the two things that leap to mind I don't have. And you know, there, um, there, there's not a lot of um, Columbia original art out there. I, I actually yeah. do have, I have a surprisingly large collection of giving that for the most part, it doesn't exist. I, I've never seen it, any scrappy cells for sale, but I, I have a few drawings from the studio and a, a couple of pieces of merchandise art. Um, I have a
4: question though, I must ask. I have always been curious about this. I, I probably should have just searched on your website, but those, those photos of the three studios with yes. scrappy, those are probably probably the most pop most copied photos from your website, I would guess. <laughs> like the most copied and pasted on anywhere else on the internet. I think those are the uh, ones.
3: probably, yeah. although I, I may have copied and pasted them, some of them from some other site too. But yes, those are pretty cool. Um
4: why? Well, where did those come from? Were those just like Colombia?
3: Uh well, Colombia even though they did not do a great job of making great cartoons except for maybe the the earliest Scrappies where Dick Humor was still working on them, they did do a really good job of of promoting Scrappy and and doing the merchandise and they they had this thing called the Scrappy merchandise department which was in New York in the same building as the Van Buren studio across the street from the Fleischer studio and they did did a great job of cross-promoting their cartoons with their live action stars so that they did all these photo shoots with the three stooges and scrappy merchandise. And there they had a number of child stars, like like Cora Sue Collins, who, mm. who is still with us, and Edith Fellows. Mm. And they would get they would they would take photographs of, of Edith and Cora Sue playing with Scrappy Merchandise. And I run a number of those photographs on my site too. But but of course the, the three stooges are the Columbia. Three Stooges are basically people, child actors. The people, yes, the people remember. So the, those get more attention, but but every so often, um, I'm still finding these publicity photos. And I think Jerry has told me that there's I mean, one that he has, he knows about that I don't have yet. And occasionally they pop up on eBay.
4: I mean, some Columbia characters were better in merchandise.
1: <laughs> my, my question um, was is uh, at least on the Charles Mintz years, because it seems like the later Columbia years and even still later UPA. Uh, were merchandise better, but in the Charles Mincier, was Scrappy the only thing merchandise, or was there other stuff that's even I mean, rare Crazy rare? Cat
4: was its own thing? Which, yeah, I mean, they, they
3: had this issue, they did not own Crazy Cat, uh, yeah. so they they probably didn't really particularly care about I, merchandising Crazy Cat. There were, there were a few things, so
4: I, I have I, a Crazy Cat question for you. Mm-hmm. So, I'm watching all these cartoons in order, and meanwhile, I'm reading Harriman's strip, right? And I'm like, this is such a one, wonder- <laughs> it's a really wonderful strip, right? It's the greatest. One of the greatest if not if it's if it's not crazy cat it's pogo or peanuts popeye um but um but yeah if it's not one of them but i'm like why do i still like these even though in comparison they're so bad
3: yes i mean we should hate them because with the one exception of little angel um, yeah they did nothing to be faithful to this wonderful work um (laughs) I mean i think that 1930s um rubber hose animation is just kind of fun um even even though it's not that great i mean i I will happily sit down and watch an oswald cartoon or um most van buren cartoons and um i i think i think the maybe the first couple of years of scrappies actually are not bad but uh and even later some of them are are not bad um but it did it evolved pretty quickly but 1930s animation is just sort of entertaining even even but, with crazy cat I think, I think crazy cat is pretty clearly inferior to scrappy but I I, definitely
4: those. definitely because i'm watching these and i'm even the later scrappies like the crazy cats just go down so downhill where crazy is only in like the first five seconds of them, right. <laughs> which i like but yeah. she's like even like i think this one where he's just on the title card yes uh, they just i just mean, did that, a whole that,
3: That happened to Scrappy too. Like, you you know, a series is running out of steam when characters barely appear in their own cartoons.
4: Right. I know the Scrappy, they use the parrot a lot.
3: P.D. Parrot. uh, There was a character named Brat. They did a couple of color rhapsodies with with Scrappy. Mm -hmm. And and at the end, he was just sort of like a a generic little boy. They did the one where he's,
4: where the holiday one, where they go through the holiday land.
3: There there are a couple of Columbia cartoons where I, I think people to this day argue whether. This little boy is Scrappy, or is just a little boy who looks sort of like Scrappy.
4: (laughs) Yeah, but then there's also the one where they go through like the calendar, and it's um, his brother, which sometimes is his brother and sometimes, yeah, that's that's where like the contingency thing comes along too. Like sometimes (laughs) it's his brother, sometimes it's not. And I think though, like half the reason, like I've always thought Crazy Cat was a girl, but then they just randomly, like you know what? because like even in the very early the very early Winkler when they was still called the Winkler series you got some consistency to where it was in a girl and half the reason is because of that bow on his neck right? and then so randomly he just becomes more and more masculine and by the time Vince took over he's just like he's got a girlfriend he's got I'm like what the hell happened <laughs>
3: There, and then just to confuse matters more, um, I own the original art for the, this pin. There they, they was like a series of pins with all these characters in the 30s that I think were given out at movie theaters, and they did all the men's characters, uh, one of whom is Crazy Cat's girlfriend, Kitty Cat. But she has dog ears, which is t- totally confusing. I'm not, I'm not clear <laughs> on whether she was a dog named Kitty Cat or a cat with floppy ears.
4: Yeah, that's... There's a lot of questions to be asked about the mids cartoons
1: no <laughs> because now, Camden, this question is for you because I have it back there up there but I haven't read it yet. I have a Harriman book that's about this thing and I have not read it. Do you have that book
4: um, the I have not no the book on Harriman by um Michael Tizzerin. So make it
1: out if you guys talk amongst yourselves it's is- called like
4: crazy? Yes, well,
1: yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a wonderful Did book. They talk about the cartoons in that? I have not read the book. I have
4: only read. I have don't have it, but I checked it up for my library. It does count cocker, but it talks the exact same thing that Malton talks about about the story behind Little Angel, which it also does talk about. Harriman hated them. Yes, <laughs> I know it's that. A- I know that Slago and Seagar mm-hmm. also hated their cartoons, which I love Popeye cartoons, and I've argued time and time again with people, and apparently there's this like. With some obsessed Fleischer fans, there's some deep hated, deep, deep tortured hatred with Seagar. I don't understand why, but they just don't like anything that's not an animated cartoon. The idea of having a re-Popeye in the newspaper doesn't seem right to them. There is some, there's some hatred with the Batman TV show that people have with comic books too. They love the Batman TV show, but seem to hate comic books, which I don't get either,
3: but- I wonder how many print cartoonists ever really loved animation based on their work, other than Charles Schultz probably enjoyed the, the stuff he was actively involved but Charles in. Charles Schultz, yeah. Uh, but, but Walt Kelly hated Chuck Jones' Pogo Special, even though he worked on it.
4: Yeah. The only uh, thing, I, I wrote two articles on Pogo Special. The only reason why the, 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 the designated two articles is it's a horrible, horrible thing, but it's got a cute story behind it, right? And Walt Kelly seemed to be fine with the cute story behind it, like the idea of a family birthday. He seemed to be fine with it. But then it was all changed. Right. And he actually seemed fine with Chuck's grandson being involved. He was fine with that too. And Chuck's grandson, the very first thing he tells me is this, it wasn't a great special. He fully agreed.
3: (laughs) I have a good um, story about the Pogo special birthday special, which Maurice Noble told me, and you probably only heard it if you've, and I probably told it on Facebook half a dozen times, but um, Maurice was working at the Chuck Jones studio when when they were working on the Pogo special. He he was working on something else, um, but he would go in every day and and Walt Kelly would be there. And um, as you probably know, um, they they promoted the special by doing this deal with some soap company for these little uh, figures Uh of all the the Pogo characters and also cups, which I'm just old enough that when when I was a very small child, my, my mother, got all of those for us. And, um, Walt Kelly worked on, on the figures. And, um, one day when Maurice was at the studio, this big box arrived for Walt and it was the, um, the figures, which they shipped to him after they made them based on his sculptures. And he opened up the box and took out Pogo and like looked at it with a a look of total disgust and flung it across the room. And, um, Maurice walked over and picked it up and took it home. And uh, when I knew Maurice, he had this pogo in his kitchen on a shelf with other knickknacks. And uh, Maurice told me the story and uh, said to me, would you like to have this pogo? And I said, yes, of course, I'd love to have it. And then I could see Maurice kind of hesitating and I could tell he he regretted offering to give it to me. And so I I gracefully let him, Take it back, um, which kind of, in a way, meant more to me than actually having it. And uh, I do sort of hope that it it ended up with somebody who knew that story rather than it it being disposed of or or given away uh, when Maurice was no longer around. Did he not like
4: the design of it or how it turned out?
3: um, My sense is that whenever anybody created like three dimensional versions of Pogo characters, they were they were not up to Walt Kelly's standards um because there were also which, some, uh, some other ones which also weren't that great I'll, i find the, the little uh, soap figure ones that i can see my churchy from where i'm sitting and um i don't hate them but i can understand right. why if if, if if you're walt yeah. kelly you, you might have extremely high standards
4: <laughs> right and um that strip that strip i remember here's a little fact for you i said this elsewhere obviously dilbert's in the news recently the very first way I learned about both of those strips is I was reading something about comics. And, you know, I, I marked just like you, I even looking in encyclopedias and see comic books. And there were two things in encyclopedia Pogo, there was a Pogo strip, and there was a Dilbert strip. And it was on the exact same page. And I was like, maybe I'll understand with these when, when I'm older. Well, come back 20, 20, um, we'll come back. 15, 16 years later. I don't always understand everything involved in Pogo, but thank God for... I'm going to tell you right now, I really already miss R.C. Harvey's Swamp Talks and these books. Oh, yeah. I love these books. Um, Which, now it's one of my favorite strokes, but Dilbert, oh my God, I hate I hated before it was cool, but oh well.
1: Well, I mean, like I said with uh, Jerry Beck, you know, Dilbert was uh, kind of lightning in a bottle. At the time when it came out was in the 90s when he worked for at and i had a crummy desk job at the time uh so anybody that had a crummy desk job it was like gold but then what happened is like all of us we get out of these crummy jobs we just try to and so did he and so the humor went away because he didn't have anything to write about anymore so that's my take on it anyway
3: Pogo has an infinite amount of depth, and um, I think you can kind of just come back to it as long as you yeah. live and, and find new things it's, in it. It's is-
4: kind of really sad that the first time I saw both of them were on the same page as each other, next to each other. I like
1: to um, know where that was because I mean that's kind of an odd comparison. You know, it's like even then
4: it was just no. Just, I literally think they just took two random strips out of the pile. Okay. I, I I honestly think that's the reason why. Because I
1: mean, when what year was it? You know.
4: I don't
1: know. I was just looking for a you book. See dude? It, what year did you see it?
3: That. Sounds like it would have been probably sometime in the eighties. Yeah. Well, well Deplorer does the late well, it 80s. Well, definitely so maybe, that maybe was the, definitely
4: maybe, not the time I saw maybe, it.
3: Maybe the nineties. Yeah.
4: Okay. That so was definitely not the time 90s. I saw it either. Okay,
1: let's say it's the nineties and um, you know, Pogo has been out of print for almost 20 years. I mean they've had various compilations other than but the, I mean, Pogo's a yeah, legacy. But I mean script, it's like it's it's just kind of an odd, you know, like Let's show the yellow kid and let's show Drabble. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, like I don't know. It's like you know. I mean, you know, it was. It just sounds as bizarre as that. You know, it's like it's something that's really old. Well, I yeah, I can't. I know you like Pogo more than me, but it's like it, Pogo is not something. I mean, they tried to bring it back a couple of times. It just doesn't work.
4: Pogo only works though. I don't understand half of what they say in Pogo, but Pogo only works. I think to make you really appreciate it. If you, I don't know, have you bought the fanographic books, Harry? Yes. Yeah. Um. Pogo really only works for someone my age. If you really have that depth, really good writing. If you really need, if you need it from R.C. Harvey and all those Swamp talks and all that to really understand the depth of it and really grasp it, I think that's the way you really need to first read it.
3: Yeah, I mean Walt Kelly was like was like the James yeah. Joyce of cartooning in that. Uh, but, but
4: I mean, like, uh, even ten years later, the references would be gone after those strips were debuted. Yeah,
3: and in some cases, Kelly was making references that even back then would have been hard to, to tease out. Yeah, so.
4: which which that's why I really appreciated them because I understand as someone who is a history major, I understand like you know, simple J. Mac- Maca- Malarkey! I understood immediately. That's McCarthy, and I knew I knew a lot about McCarthy from, like, you know, from um, what's the blacklist animation book? Um, oh, Harvey Daranoff's book. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, no, not not Harvey Daranoff's book. Oh. Um, dang. What are you talking about? <laughs> the blacklist, uh, the Cold War animation book.
1: I know that Let's
4: see. <laughs> I don't know if I know that book. But... I don't know. He's he's the CIFA San Francisco guy. I think Carl Cohen. Yeah, thank you, oh, Carl okay. Cohen's book. Oh, okay. I feel really bad now because he was really helpful. I the reason one of the reasons that the Amber he was invited to Amber's documentary premiere too. I think he showed up too.
3: Carl is a legend out here.
4: Yeah. Um. He. Um. Yes. Thank you. That's like books like that are like the way I knew a lot about McCarthy, so I immediately got that. I immediately got that, and like you know, you know, you've seen so many documentaries on the McCarthy hearings at school or whatever like that. So sometimes things would grasp why but then you'd have references or like the I Go Pogo. I know enough to wear like the the I Like Ike's and all that stickers all were big, so I got that, but. It's just so many references that you don't get so having that in the back of the book you're like man love this
1: so this book animated propaganda during the cold war that one yeah okay all right i know that book <laughs> it's yeah. just a roundabout way of getting there okay so
4: all right yeah that was i went all over the place there <laughs>
1: <laughs> and i know carl too i, I used to, well it was Harry knows knows uh, or may, may or may not remember yeah i used to live in the bay area so you know, mm-hmm. so um but i'm in oregon here <laughs> what yeah. Part of
3: Oregon, are you in again, Mark? What? Are you in Portland or? I am in uh Springfield. Huh? So I, system, I, so, yeah. I grew yeah. up in Portland, so I'm okay. considering myself to still to be an Oregonian.
1: Y'all are back oh, in you know, right? I, I would never guess because I
4: mean you're mentioning Boston. You're mentioning- well, I was born hey. in
3: Boston, and then we moved to Portland. And then my parents decided they
4: liked Boston Mark. better. Mark, oh, I got yeah. a spring. I got a. I got an Oregon question. Yeah. Yes. Is it true that they have some kind of weird, weird, um, weird monarchy statue to Matt Granning in Fort Springfield, Oregon? That is just like the most public domain statue you can possibly have of the Simpsons. Characters? I have
1: not seen it yet. I mean, they do have this. Okay, so this is legit. Um, so they have a, a mural painting on one wall that was dedicated, and Matt Granning actually showed up. This was done about a decade ago or something. It's where he reveals that the Springfield of The Simpsons is Springfield, Oregon. Well, he grew up in Oregon. It's I always thought, well, duh, you know. But he wanted to keep it kind of whatever mystery. And it's still
4: kind of a mystery. He's he's, he's pushed back on that. You well,
1: it's it's on record. He was videotaped. Yeah. Was he a politician yeah. anyway? Um, so they did this mural. They did this dedication. Yardley Smith showed up. There's little footprints, just like Grandma's Chinese Theater, or whatever and uh then since that time every tom dick and harry store has like their own version of the simpsons painting on their thing from the (laughs) from the tire shop to the weed shop to the any shop (laughs) it's like you know and and then on the freeway you'll just see random mural of like homer waving or something and (laughs) three-eyed fish somewhere else and you know it's uh, like I, I went to Chester, oh,
3: Illinois, which has oh, a lot of Popeye stuff. So I,
4: I am I I'm, a, I've become very a, good friends with the people over there. They're very nice folks over there.
3: I went to Metropolis, Illinois, which is I, I've been there too. Uh,
4: I went. I went on a round trip there, and I got to say though, the Popeye Museum was much better than the Metropolis because for a museum on Superman, there I saw one comic book on display in the whole museum.
3: Yeah, it was. It was. Less a museum and more somebody's unbelievably large Superman collection.
4: Is that the museum that the head of Superman got? Yeah. Oh. That's the museum. Okay. But and I'm like, and but then the Popeye Museum, you know, it's more of a Popeye collection, but the people there are just so charming. And it's like this mom and pop thing. They do other things, but then they have the statues, they have all the funding, which they're revealing the last statues pretty soon. Yeah. The yeah, last have-
1: statues is Oscar, by the way. Going back to Simpsons a second, so the only other thing, there's no statues that I know of, but in the shop that's right behind is like an art studio. They have a three-dimensional full-size Simpsons couch with the Simpsons on it and a seat that you can sit next to. Them. So Aww. that's 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 available. But yeah, there's no Matt Graining. Um, I,
4: I heard the statue. story this real
1: imagined so it's like that I heard
4: this story that there was some statue of like Homer's hand that they couldn't get the rights to a statue but they have a giant statue in like some Portland or some well, Springfield Museum either. of Homer's hand just mm-hmm. holding a donut because they you'd, couldn't get the licensing to do be anything more
1: likely to have our own bullet statue <laughs> what we'd be more likely to have our own bullwinkle statue <laughs> than that <laughs>
3: no. hey I have a, a Portland story you might enjoy. Actually, two things, one of which is um, Krusty is based on Rusty Nails, this TV clown who I watched avidly when I was growing up, although there was this other guy, Ramblin' Rod, who was not a a clown, but has um, always struck me as being even more like Krusty. And if I ever meet Matt Groening, I will ask him whether Krusty was really based on Ramblin' Rod. Uh, But my other story was in, in 1973, I think, um, my father taught at Reed College in Portland, and he learned there was this going to be this special guest appearance um, by Abe Levitel, who This is probably the first time you'd ever heard of Le- Abe Levittow, but the, this great animator with Chuck Jones' unit. And uh, Abe came to the campus and spoke, and my father took me, and Abe showed this incredible selection of, of cartoons, and not just ones he worked on, he did show a bunch of Chuck Jones ones, but he, he also showed, um, red hot Riding hood and some other Avery's and probably other things. And this was 1973. So this was kind of, kind of before, the, um, uh, we really knew about all these cartoons, except if he had seen them on the Bugs Bunny show. And it was, it was kind of like a remarkable experience for me as, as a nine year old. And my father thought it was incredible and, um, has stuck with me my entire life. And, um, Just recently I I learned that Abe's um, daughter Judy is on Facebook.
4: I am friends with his daughter Judy.
3: And I was writing about this incredible experience and and she um, pinged me and explained that, that she was a Reed student at the time And her father, Abe, was coming to visit her on campus. And they kind of got the idea that as long as he was there, why doesn't he show some cartoons? (laughs) Uh, And so Judy was at this event I I went to uh, 50 years ago and probably remembers it better than I do because she she was older. But it it was really kind of a a, um, transformational experience for me as a cartoon fan.
4: I did this article with Judy about different stuff in the Levitoe Collection on Cartoon Research. And I originally wanted the Academy to do it, the academy wouldn't let me use anything, which see seems that. unfair when I'm doing it with her daughter, right? His daughter. And it doesn't uh, make any sense. and Abe kind of
3: died so young; he he died before he was able to get full appreciation for all the stuff. While
4: that. researching, I did come across like all of the interviews available with Leblonetto were all about "Off to See the Wizard." <laughs> so all so my article about "Off to See the Wizard." actually revolves around four different print interviews with Abe Levitow about the special. Because well, he was really the master. There was no Chuck Jones interviews available about that special. It was entirely... I don't even think Chuck's name was really on it. Like the, the Chuck the not feel like I asked them. They have nothing. They said that that was entirely Abe Levito's thing. Linda Jones told me that was entirely Abe Levitow's. Chuck had nothing to do with it. That makes sense. Because um he said that that was Abe's thing, Abe's had a little department, but they did that. So, um, so I think Chuck was led to the producer because I think Chuck owned the studio, so that's kind of like Hanna-Barbera or Jay Ward, but but, um, so somewhere is there is a no longer surviving radio interview of Abe Levito talking about animation, because one of the articles I wrote had this long thing. It says, "On I'm making up a random station. I don't know. It's KTTP. Let's just randomly name that as a station. Saying that last night he was on so-and-so talking about animation with um person I don't know the name of either, but, there, but there's a school named after him. Um, Bob Jones. All right. Bob Jones. Yes. Thank you. That's why I didn't know, because I was thinking Bob Jones, like, no, that can't be right. But, um, most basic name in the history of America, but he interviewed Abe Levito on the air, by animation, and, like, just, you know, and it's, like, Cincinnati, nobody's there for animation, so he was there, they interviewed him, and it was about, and that was part of the interview. I imagine this interview no longer exists. Let's just put that out there. It
1: Definitely,
4: probably does not. It's from the radio. It was printed in Appletunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It was Printed in Appletunes. That's right. It would have been nice. We to don't know. It
4: was might, not, might, just, reveal, might not just not reveal it.
3: right. right. If I knew it was there, I wouldn't be able to tell you anyway.
4: Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was the, some some at some point they interviewed him, and snippets of that interview is on. But how the animation process work is on the article i
1: wrote hmm. somebody has it sometimes the weirdest things pop up in you know, a random yeah articles, so you yeah i i said that
4: of- um, i told i jokingly told someone that this is gonna that if they find that popeye and betty Boop stag reel they just need to go steve just needs to go all out with that thing and just make the most racy thing you can pop like you got you got to go for those proposals of that magoo x-ray film that that back is wrote about you just got to go all out the strangest thing you could possibly put
3: out. There's a pretty long list of stuff I would, would love to turn up. Uh, when, when I was working on this Bullwinkle statue article, I learned that um, Helen O'Connell, who had this <laughs> show about Hollywood, did, did two episodes yeah, on, uh, on the Jay Ward studio. Yeah, Yeah, June was on one, and then she also did one around the time of the um, statue unveiling. And um, some other episodes of her show are on YouTube, so it doesn't seem completely unthinkable that Mm -hmm. these might survive somewhere. Uh, Supposedly, Jay Ward also shot film of of the statue unveiling with Jane Mansfield. Uh, I haven't seen that, but I'm I'm hoping maybe it'll show up.
4: Dave, no, Harry, I have to ask you a quick question. Have you ever thought about writing a book on Scrappy?
3: I've toyed with it. I mean, the the challenge is, and actually I I pitched one once, of course, the, the challenge is that there are not a huge number of people out there who know that they love Scrappy. Although I found that once people see all the merchandise and stuff, often they find it to be fascinating. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to like sell the idea to some big publisher, but- um,
4: Like couldn't you sell it to like Bear Manor Media?
3: Conceivably, or a, I've also toyed with the idea of, of self-publishing something, which is, is totally doable these days. So um, it certainly has been in the back of my mind. Um, I mean, the other, the other challenge of Scrappy is, Scrappy is owned by Columbia which is owned by Sony, uh, and they did a pretty good job of renewing the copyrights, so there are not a lot of Scrappies but, in the public domain, as far as I know. So, but does,
4: but does Columbia know they own Scrappy? I don't think they
3: do, although they also restored a lot of them. Um, I actually. Jerry had this great screening based on Scrappy right. Land um, um, back about 15 years ago, where so, we had these beautiful prints of Scrappy cartoons, which, which Michael
4: Schlesinger, that's what I was about to say. But wouldn't that have been Michael Schlesinger and not Sony? Because I know okay. Mr. Schlesinger is very aware
3: of them. Yes, I imagine. They, they may have just re- restored a lot of stuff and maybe Michael put the scrappies in the queue. But there are beautiful prints of them, including uh, when, uh, another big change from when I started Scrap- Scrappy Land was in like, I started right before YouTube existed. And so it was pretty tough to, to see scrappy cartoons at all. And today, almost all of them are on YouTube. Yeah, look at me. I, I just, I
4: just, I just, watched almost all of the Columbia cartoons in order because of
3: YouTube. I, I, I took that article by Will and Paul and uh, embedded almost all the scrappy cartoons in there because they're, they are mostly available today, which yeah, is only, I know only that, a, um, a fairly that recent development.
4: The ones that aren't on YouTube, I know that my friend Strum, Pat's, Strum, um, he goes to a lot of Tommy Stathis's shows. And um, Tommy has shown a lot of the ones that are not on YouTube before.
3: Uh, I do have maybe one that I have a copy of that is um, not available. Yeah. And um, the Chinatown
4: I, they, mystery is one yes. that, he's, that he's shown, that they've shown it. cartoon. That cartoon.
3: Is, that's probably the most offensive uh, scrappy cartoon, as you can kind of tell from the title. And the, yeah. that, that one, I think, was even not part of the 1950s syndication package, because even by then, um, they wisely decided not to make yeah. it available.
4: Yeah, there is some there's some pretty racy Columbia cartons like I don't know I don't know how George Harriman, a person who really wanted to hide the idea the 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 fact that he was half black would feel about Crazy Cat doing an all-out minstrel show and I don't know how someone who is half black, would really have thought about that.
3: Just the idea that George Herman was aware of these cartoons kind of makes me sad because they are so disrespectful. And I I don't even know if he got any money from them, given that... uh, I I don't think he did. The money probably all went to King Features, uh, unfortunately. I know
4: that apparently someone told me that Otto Slago when he said The Little King, which aren't as unfaithful. They are, actually. Yeah, they are. But they're somehow a little bit more faithful which is hard to do they
3: make some attempt to capture his his, uh, character
4: but um he hated them he called them like someone like the bastard (laughs) yeah i would agree with you though charles and i love but i love popeye shorts but and i get again before we got off the air um i said that there's some deep hated hatred with some Fletcher fans for Seagar.
0: interesting
3: that's weird to me given that they're um that the strips are brilliant and the cartoons are also really good. And uh, even though the Fleischer's did not right. really uh, yeah. adapted all that faithfully, I think they did, they did capture some of the spirit of these characters.
4: But that's the thing though. I, 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 Jules Pfeiffer said in an article that um, he never cared for the Fleischer cartoons because they were all Popeye versus Bluto, And that was not the essence of the strip. And I agree. And I love those cartoons, but I do agree with him. Yeah. It, that is the formula. But I, I do think, though, the best Popeye stuff ever made was from the strip. Without yes. a doubt, it was the strip. And I think the strip is easily my favorite comic strip. Yeah. Which, it's hard to deny that the strip wasn't a little, was, I love, like, you can't put, you can put, I've shown Fleischer cartoons at a festival, and besides Superman. Superman always gets a good reaction. Popeye meets sendbag gets the best audience game. Every time, um, I also show Minnie the Moocher because Minnie the Moocher, I guess, has gone become an internet meme, so that always gets a gap get from an audience too. Um,
3: I'm very fond of the cartoons, but Cigar is genius. Um,
4: yeah.
1: Well, without Cigar, you wouldn't have the cartoons. That, ends that. You know, it's like the you know, yeah. same people against uh, the Superman comic book and Siegel and Schuster? <laughs> yeah.
4: there are some people against um, which. I get that there's there's a lot of people who love the Batman TV show, but the very idea that you would just diss the entire Batman history before seems very strange. For the fact that you wouldn't have Batman without the comic books, right? Like, like the <laughs> Mark, yes. we've had Golden Age comics before. Don't say that you hate them. I don't hate them. Right. I like but them. <laughs> I thought you were doing this, but like, yeah, oh,
1: like. To the to the naysayers, man, right? Who cares? Because you know, like, what you like, like and who cares about that? Because
4: <laughs> you know? I'm like, because I had this argument with someone on Facebook, and I'm like, he's like, well, if it's not Adam West, it's not Batman. I'm like, well, there was a Batman. before <laughs> <Adam laughs> Like, okay, Adam like,
1: West is my favorite Batman, but that's not
4: Batman. Mine too. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll freely admit it's not Batman, but you know, it's yeah. Like, my bat- it's Batman, my favorite like Batman
4: is best. the Golden Age Batman, but I like Adam West just because. You know, in fact, I like, here's the honest question, That's the answer. I like Adam West Batman, the same reason I like the crazy, the, the Columbia crazy cat. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's like, nothing wrong with like... It's
4: nothing faithful to it, it but I just it, like, like it.
1: Um. Oh, a couple things I wanted to say interrupting now. Um, Jerry Beck said this a few years back, I think on Stu Shostak's show, about Sony and Columbia, that they went through and restored everything including trailers including you know every short and everything which is why you have that three stooges box set that you were watching on the three stooges in pristine yeah they went through everything even stuff they don't ever intend to release so they probably even did the scrappy that's offensive know. But, you know it's like you know then it goes back on the shelf but you know they did everything for to carry back so you can get more details from him how <laughs> thorough that was but you know they said the, that they did trailers and everything you know every possible scrap in their archives done you know the
3: materials are there should they uh, ever want to do a blu-ray set i actually went
1: so they could but they just don't it <laughs> reminds
3: me of a story which is i actually as a tech journalist i once went to this event with the, the president of sony sony's u.s consumer electronics group and this is when sony was kind of challenged by samsung and all these other companies and uh He was talking about um, how things were going to be different from now on. And he said, we we like to think of ourselves uh, with one word, and that word is Scrappy. And I sat there being aware that actually Sony owns a character named Scrappy and not volunteering that fact, because that would have been kind of a little bit nerdy. Um, But yeah, I don't think Sony really knows that it owns Scrappy.
4: So I think if you put a book with Scrappy on the cover, I don't think you'd get in trouble.
3: I I have sort of a little disclaimer on my website just in case, but books can books, as you know, can be a little bit trickier. Um, I've sort right, of thought, thought about maybe doing like a, a a magazine about Scrappy.
4: You can put it on. You can put it in silhouette, like like like, <laughs> right. like Joe Joe Adamson did on the cover of Texas
3: or or, or it could be a guide to Scrappy collectibles, which I, I think mm-hmm. is a, maybe a little a little bit safer. Of my yeah. um, I
4: know that Jerry Beck told me that anymore if you put a black and white scrappy picture in a book you would never get in trouble there's just no no one gets really in trouble for using an image in a book anymore
1: well is answer me this either of you grew up in proletary isn't scrappy going the way of like the steamboat willie meaning it's it's a trademark yes but i mean they're
4: not even using it i'm like is it a trademark though is scrappy a trademark
3: I'm not sure whether they re- renewed the trademark, and uh, maybe so, th- I mean, th- theoretically. The public
4: domain, that's what oh, I mean, theoretically, oh, oh. there's a hundred different cartoon characters named Scrappy, right. which um, unfortunately, I bet Harry is brought. and brings up that to Harry about every five minutes.
3: <laughs> there's also, I mean, there's a rapper named Scrappy, um, but there's also already a public domain version of Scrappy. Um, something I've, I've written about quite a bit on my site is that in the 30s, when when Will Eisner was just getting started and running a studio with Jerry Iger, they did a a scrappy newspaper strip, which they did not manage to sell to any papers in the US. Um, It did appear in in France and Australia and maybe some other countries. And then a few years later, when they were doing um, Wonder Comics, which is mostly known because um, Wonder Man appeared in it, the the first Superman ripoff who DC sued. uh, One of the backup strips in Wonder Comics was um, they took all of these old Scrappy strips they'd done a few years before, and they retouched them. Um, like they gave, uh, Scrappy had a, a cowlick in the strips. They, they took that off and gave him parted hair. Um, they did something similar to, to Margie, his, his little girlfriend. And um, and they renamed him from Scrappy to Shorty Shortcake. And then af- after they'd used up all of the strips, they retouched, they continued doing new Shorty Shortcake stories which are essentially scrappy stories except he's called shorty and and I am reasonably confident that shorty shortcake is in the public domain and if, it, if anybody feels like doing scrappy fanfic they can just do shorty fanfic but I think it's also true that just I,
4: I'd like people, to know who in the world wants to write scrappy fanfic.
3: <laughs> not even, not, even, <laughs> not even me wants to but also I believe in a, in a few years you will be able to be able to do them as long as they're based on the very early cartoons um, so you'll have to call, upi vansi which was his name at first and and scrappy will need to have like, a, name like, a, like oh, yeah yeah scrappy will have to have like a basketball for a head like he did in the early cartoons and you, you won't be able to make him look like he did in the later ones yeah the
4: thing's head, the, the, the kid's head is about is, is about bigger than his whole body
3: vansi mm-hmm. is based on the yiddish word for bed bug and i think i think maybe uh once uh columbia realized that they, they changed the name to upi
4: curious what was harry cohen's involvement in all this because harry cohen was known as like you know the evil evil miser of all
3: i don't know i mean i've always wondered whether there are any there's any kind of like columbia archive that's out there that might have any paperwork um there's so little known about the behind the scenes stuff there i mean i did i I was good friends with dick humor's son richard humor and so a little what i know i know from that and i do have the sense that well most animation fans think of, of Charles Mintz as being an ogre based on his relationship with Walt Disney. It seems like by, by the time he did, uh, had his own studio, the people who worked for him kind of kind of liked him and he was, he was not a horrible person to work for. So I have, I have a somewhat more favorable impression of, of Mintz than yeah. uh, a lot of people do based on that. Hmm. Okay, uh, Camden, I, this is the book
1: went back there and grabbed it you have this one you read this it's one. a, it's a fantastic but, book i
4: don't but like on page i think I, do, I just checked it out in the library so i think i even know the page i think it's like 112 oh, okay we'll talk done. about it yeah.
3: it's a fantastic biography of george harriman which yeah, you would just, not expect to have a huge amount of stuff on the cartoons
4: no mm. We just go to the index and search and search like little uh, right there. Although I I, I mean yeah. I would I would love a
3: book about Crazy Cat that kind of did include the cartoons and the, the later TV cartoons and I mean didn't the later uh, TV
4: cartoons. I watched some of them.
3: Didn't Dell randomly do like a, a few Crazy Cat comics? The one the, thing the, I, the I like the, radio,
4: so the later TV cartoons is I like, kinda like the voice of the mouse. I really do like the voice of the mouse. So, when I read the strip, I do imagine the voice of Ignatz, that exact voice.
1: <laughs> well, those King Features cartoons are the first ones I ever saw. So, it's like for me, I... it's like, it. you know, when you see, you know, you've done this probably yourself, Ken, and it's like, where, Harry, where, you know, where the version you see first kind of holds a soft spot with you that that's the version, even if it's not the original version. <laughs> you know, I don't know.
3: You think somebody would try to do some more faithful uh, Harriman? And what maybe did somebody do that for Sesame Street or something at some point? That's, that's, sure. that's
4: there's a Sesame Street, Street, Street thing that's actually really good. And I'm someone who doesn't even care for that, like, is not like a Sesame Street obsessor, like I know some people in my sphere, sphere are. But, um, <laughs> but which is really sad the fact that I've written about <laughs> Sesame Street animation for my, um, for my. Um, Curiosity Shop article. That I wrote about. Well, they utilized a lot of good animation studios. A lot of oh, them yeah, did. The they did, and they. It's interesting. You know, they, I like the Sesame Street uses Beetle Bailey. They use Superman. They use all this different stuff, and I'm like, it was kind of those were all neat. Well, but I then there know. was the one. There was Little Angel, which I think Little Angel is is good, but I think it couldn't have been a better short if they would have given. I think graphically, I think it was as good as it could be. I think it I think graphically there's no way to affordably do that style. That's why I think Bill Littlejohn's Pogo project that he was going to do. I didn't
3: the know that. plans
4: of that w- w- looked really good, right? Hmm. And was the that artwork. what? Was that,
3: was that before the Chuck Jones show or after?
4: Um Bill Littlejohn, no, there's a cartoon research. I might be mistaken the name, but there was it was like the Pogo special. I don't know, there's a web there's a there's an art there's a YouTube video. Of someone who did like, like put it together and made like a pilot out of it oh. it's really
3: good. I mean Walt Kelly eventually did one on his own with his wife Selby and um, yeah. Dis- Disney in the 1950s at least considered doing some kind of Pogo feature which actually sounds like a terrible idea based, based on what yeah. Disney probably would have done with that.
4: Yeah that's, that sounds like a horrible idea but, um, but Pogo there is also that stop motion thing right but which is not very good either but the Bill Elgin thing would have worked. Hmm. Problem is, I here's why I also, I don't think that the only reason they did it is because they scrapped it. I think the only reason they did it also, because you really can't make that style affordably. You can't make that style with limited animation. It's just no. not. Chuck no. Jones tried it with full animation. It failed. You
3: kind of need an army of people who are as good at drawing Pogo as Walt Kelly was. And there, there was only right. one person who was as good at drawing Pogo which, as Walt Kelly Which
4: I was. think is the, like, which my friend Ben Olson, who I brought on Mark's podcast, I brought him on, and he's done peanuts art for galleries and stuff. He does art for the Chuck Jones Gallery, very nice guy. Brought him on twice, or maybe I think I brought him on like three times, right, Mark? At least twice, yeah. yeah at least twice, but um, <laughs> he, he's a uh, um. Yeah, these things blend together now. He um he. Andy, Andy, Andy. Well, sorry. He he told me that the hardest one of the hardest characters to draw is Charlie Brown. The, totally. the character the Schultz made it seem like he wasn't a good cartoonist, but he really was.
3: Yeah. I mean, the fewer lines, the harder it is to fake.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Even like people he had to, that assisted
1: him, like Dale Hill and Salzburg or, Salz, or what's Salz like?
3: jim sassoville uh, there's uh one guy know, who, who did a lot of the iconic merchandising art like like the, the famous peanuts lunchbox
1: yeah with with Even all the characters they was, was they drawn by spot, drawn by somebody who specialized in it yeah so i'm sure that kind of irked charles schultz sometimes yeah like the why they just dis- dismissed them after a while
4: you know it's like you can't draw it exactly like you. <laughs> it built, like i know that the i when lee mendelson Lee Mendelssohn is like the only animation producer that I only animate that that when you listen to his stories, you say, you know what? All of these seem believable. I don't think he stretched very much of this. Like Walter Lance, every story he said was made up. (laughs) Joe (laughs) Barbera, half of that. And Chuck Jones, he complained that Bob Clampett made up stories Uh, by Mel Blanc. Mel Mel Blanc. Chuck Jones made up his stories by the end of his life, too, though. But Lee Mendelssohn, all of his stories seem to connect. Everyone else has the exact same story. So it all played in really well. So when he tells that story that said I refuse to do... He told the story in like an Emmy interview, which I really hate Emmy's interviews, So I'm listening to them while I'm shelving and I'm like, I hate this. Because he has more stories to tell, but they shut him up when he's trying to tell a story. But he says I don't want anyone to do it, but Bill Melendez because he's the only one who can draw it right. I absolutely think that's true. There's no way that's not true. This just it seems like something Schultz would say. Yeah. Well, he trusted him. I'll say that.
1: Yeah. You know, he, was, he allowed him to draw the little red girl. You know, <laughs> which, <laughs> which
4: which Bill and Melendez, in the interview, says that was a mistake. Yeah. But I he mean, said the verbatim that that was a mistake. He still loved. <laughs> you know, like, yeah I
3: mean though, I don't I did, certainly do not love all the peanut specials, but at least all the ones done while Schultz was around you, you knew that um, there were things that he was involved I in think, and, and, and wanted to happen, which is not true of a lot of these things.
4: Yeah. I think the first 10 of them are the ones that hold I think the I think the people were complaining about Charlie Brown Thanksgiving and I'm like, let's be honest, it's not that big, that incredible special. <laughs> it's good. It's got great animation in it by Bill Littlejohn and Phil Roman with the chair sequence. They did that chair sequence, I think, is really well done. But it's not the special that people remember it as. Well, I like it, but I do too. But I think it's like well, the last the really little good, good peanut special.
1: First things you see. Um, my cutoff on peanuts is the uh, Arbor Day, and it's only because it's the last one with Good Squirrel music. It's just yeah, that's, that's totally arbitrary, but I mean, it's like uh, the next one was like, "What a nightmare!" And it's like, yeah, it lives up to its title. What? And
4: <laughs> well, I mean, I know a lot of people cut off their peanuts after the first twenty years. I like the peanuts. <laughs> anyway, I like the <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I like peanuts to the entire end because Schultz was doing it. Yeah,
3: I, I, when towards the end, um. I did not love it when it was in the paper. And I remember um, after Schultz died, my, my father saying, I think we kind of didn't appreciate what we had, that he was still doing this. And I, I go up to the um, Charles Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa all the time where you can go into a gallery and read Peanuts uh, in the from his original strips and I have to say I, I have gained uh, a greater appreciation for the later years because mm-hmm. he, he never slept walked through it. He was still experimenting and trying new things and uh, he got to have a very shaky hand but he, he even made that work for him. And he, right. even though, though these later strips are not laugh out loud, funny like, like, like the 60s, or early 70s um, and are not as character driven. I think you, you still saw a mind at work um, and there are so many comic strips where after a while, you you don't see that. You see somebody mm-hmm. going through the motions.
4: I think that I always liked when I was a little younger, I liked Jim Davis as Garfield when I was younger. But then when I got older, I'm like, is it really that great? Cause after a while I got into the motion where I'm like, you know, he's not like, like, when you look at the earlier ones, actually, I think that's a pretty neat strip, but then he's not even doing it anymore. Right. <laughs> really.
3: I've always felt like it's very rare for a comic strip to be at, at, at the top of its form for more than about 15 years. Um, I mean, as much as I love Pogo, even even the later Pogo, I do not love as much. And there's probably yeah. about, about 15 years of Peanuts where it's at its peak. And um, so it's really hard to, to, to do it forever. And uh, I can understand why Bill Watterson chose not to do it um, because he um, he stopped doing it while he was still at his peak. I think I
1: wanna... on Peanuts, the peak years usually most people agree with it, like 55 to 70
3: just you about know. yeah i would yeah.
1: say the peak year in that is probably 1967 68
4: probably right in that sweet spot I would, yeah yeah <laughs> but then like i think that schultz i think that people criticize like you know criticized the style but i think that at a time they didn't know about schultz's shaky hand and his, and his trouble drawing that became later I think if people knew of those details, I think that they would not have been as critical.
1: Well, I knew he had a shaking hand. I, you could tell. You know, right. if he wasn't public about it. You could just tell. I kept reading it. Um, I was uh, I was kind of bummed out when he went from four frames to three frames. But yeah. I get it. I get it why he did it because it's less to draw and, you know, and it's like he was having difficulty. I mean,
3: he, I just recently on uh, Twitter, I saw that the curator at the Schultz Museum said that um, for the longest time he was contractually required to do four panels because the the original idea with peanuts was that, that newspapers could run it small or they could run it like in, in two tiers yeah. and um so he, he only got out of that in the, the late 80s and and once I, he was able to do that he did it yeah i um, love to i love that to experiment when,
4: whenever you read whenever schultz whenever you ever hear an interview with schultz and they mention that it's named peanuts he yes. looks like he's he always looks like he wants to strike whenever he's interviewing them. Yes,
3: I just saw Dick Cavett's show our rerun the other night, uh, where Schultz goes on and on about how it's the worst name he ever heard of for a comic strip.
4: Yeah,
3: I'm surprised that he never actually. You you would think that he could have told uh, the syndicate that e- either we changed the name to Good Old Charlie Brown or, or I walk at some point, and he, he could have gotten away with that.
4: And he and he can tell that you're really like, but Peanuts peanuts in the very very top and it's like starring good old Charlie Brown he's just like trying to hide it but the, odd so
1: that- part, the, the odd part is you know for not liking it called that you know for years he had the strips where he had the little pre-designated uh, black peanuts square or like. up in the corner and you know uh, the other thing is on the Sunday strips, it would say P- peanuts featuring good old Charlie Brown. Then later he cut the good old Charlie Brown and just had a peanuts on there. I was like, well, for someone who doesn't like it, he certainly gave, gave in easily. <laughs>
4: right. Yeah. The, uh, like, the
3: name being in the little black um, bar was, I, I bet you that was part of the of the space saving uh, technique where you didn't even need the room to have the name of the strip yeah. uh, on top. I wanted to mention, by the way, speaking of adaptations of comic strips, I, I actually think some of the recent Peanuts animation, like, like the shows on Apple TV, are surprisingly good and uh, maybe even better than some of the stuff done when Schultz was alive towards the end and, and really quite respectful of, yeah. of the strip. And um, his widow, uh, Jean Schultz, I think has done a really good job of uh, of caring about the way that um, her husband's stuff is used and uh, holding it to a, a high standard
4: I was talking with Jason Whitton, Witton about who wrote this. Who wrote a book on Mort Walker. I don't know if either of you have a you have a Mort Walker conversation. Another book called Talking Comics with Mort Walker. Oh,
1: yeah, you I don't have, know I've read
4: it. Yeah. Um. Is it good? How good is it? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. But um. But I was talking with him. We we've been collecting comics, and I bought. In fact, I just bought the color because obviously I'm, I'm twenty. I'm twenty three years old. Give me a break. I I couldn't afford. To buy all the comics when they came out because I was thirteen when the when the last volume of Mickey and Mouse came out that Berstein did. Okay, hey, so, I didn't buy them,
1: so what? I said I didn't even buy
4: them. But so I bought the I color can't buy everything. I just bought the color Mickey Mouse's. We were talking back and forth because I haven't bought the peanuts volumes, so I got like sixteen volumes left, right? So um, so we were talking. And we were saying, like, the, the good thing about the Mickey Peanuts, unlike any other comic strip, any other ones, whether it's, you know, Blondie, which they released two volumes of, or Mickey Mouse, which they, you can't even find volume 10 of it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. It's like, it's zero. You Nilch. Know, the strip will always be in print. They've reprinted their paperback. They've reprinted it in the UK. They reprinted it in Australia. Like, they did totally different books in both of those countries. They've been in other languages in 15 years, they're going to do it again. Yeah.
3: I just bought but it's going to sell again. I just bought these enormous books that are up for 30 bucks. I bought every peanuts daily from the start through um, the 1970s. Yeah, Didn't I
4: guess. You have, did you have already the fanographic books?
3: I don't have all the fantographics and the, these. Uh-huh. Uh, it's nice to have them. Like, the best thing is to have all of the 50s in one book because you can see the you know how Snoopy evolved uh-huh. from a, a tiny puppy who didn't do anything funny into the Snoopy Reno and you see Charlie Brown become Charlie no. Brown and Lucy the become one, Lucy.
4: The one thing I don't like about those those peanuts books, and I get why they did them, is I don't care for the peanut the celebrity intros. Oh, and
3: I, well, I, th- I think those help sell them. So I'm Yeah, I'm that's, really, that's, well, that's have... why I think
4: they sell, they sell well. Because if you notice which ones sell well, ironically, it's awesome based on which celebrity. Right also, I, I, be- I
3: believe that Fandagraphics, um, I mean, that Fandagraphics has probably done really well with those books, and that's helped support all, all these great collections they do that probably don't make huge amounts of money.
4: Right. Like,
1: I got a story here for those intros. I've sure. worked really hard to get one of those because. I, ha- I met Charles Schultz, and I think I have a valid story to tell. And I've told it to Jeannie Schultz. I've told it to anybody who ever listens to it. Um, but Gary Groth said, oh, yeah, we'll get you in there, unless somebody more And then one time. So I don't know which volume this is, but there's one time where he almost was like, I think I might get you for the next mark. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah. And then at the last minute, he says, sorry, somebody else more important. But, but- go, wait, wait. And who was it? President Obama. <laughs> <laughs> and I said,
3: ah! I met Charles yeah. Schultz, too, so I yeah. want to do an intro as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Met him, I met him a few days after he announced his retirement. I drove up with a friend to uh, the skating rink, and we, we basically sat around until he was having breakfast with some friends, and we waited until he was done with his breakfast, and his friends were talking to somebody else. And as we left, we, we thanked him briefly.
4: I, um i was reading jason winton's in conversation with mort walker and mort walker said in an interview the last time he spoke to talk schultz was the day he retired oh. he was talking to them and the entire time schultz was crying and he hung up the phone and you could tell that this was the last day he'll talk to him he just could sense the, the he could just sense it hmm.
1: When I met him, it was early '90s, so he was still vibrant enough. I mean, he, there's no plans of retirement. I don't think he even remember that one time he had to do an operation in the '90s, and he worked right. way ahead, like 20 weeks or something, so he could uh, recuperate. Yeah, but this is even before that. So
4: yeah. now, Harry, I do have to ask you one question about your tech writing, by the way. Sure. Um, when did you become a tech writer?
3: I, well, um, I guess it depends on how you count. Um, I got into um, microcomputers, as we called them back then when I was in high school. And um, back in the old right, a, right after I graduated from high school, I wrote a, a couple of uh, reviews for this magazine uh, called Creative Computing, which was this re- really great computer magazine in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and But that was also shortly thereafter, I started working at Animato and doing Aptoons, and I, I wrote movie reviews for a magazine called Cinefantastique. So I, I did not do any more computer writing until um, the early 90s when um, I got a job at a computer magazine, based partially on the fact I'd been doing anim- Animato, which I had just stopped doing. Um, and that was a magazine called Computer Buying World. And so um, that was um, 32 years ago. I can't quite believe, but that was that was sort of when I started doing it full time.
4: And what were you, what was your, was this, was like writing your job before though too?
3: Uh, well, I grew up, uh, like a lot of cartoon fans being interested in being a cartoonist and sort of a, over time that sort of evolved into being interested in magazines. I can, you know, comic books and, and magazines to me are just two slight variations on, on the same idea of sequences of words and images mm-hmm. and even websites are very similar. So I kind of, yeah. I began to love magazines. Um. As a reader, which led to being interested in, in writing for them, and uh, I was into c- computers and gadgets, and uh, this was during this period where there was a thriving industry of computer magazines, um, and there was never a thriving industry of magazines about animation and comic strips. So that was it was kind of pretty clear which opportunity I should try to pursue.
4: I take taking a periodical writing class, and um, I and so my teacher described periodical writing as something written regularly on a scheduled basis. That's the definite periodical. So I raised my hand and like, is a comic strip or a comic book periodical? It's like, let me think about that <laughs> next class. It came out to me. It's like, you know what, for your essay, you can write about a comic strip or a comic book. I thought about it. It's periodical.
3: They're certainly in periodicals and then on a periodical basis.
4: Yeah. They're on a periodical basis and that's and they're written. So I actually agree with the idea that it's can be a radical you can't say that dunesbury is not opinionated a radical all
1: right i'm gonna to have to wrap this up i mean i hate, I hate to say it because uh, you know it's like we could talk for hours but uh this we should do it again. again but we'll yeah, look at I that mean, and uh so um i appreciate you harry being on the show and appreciate that's been a lot
3: of fun um i have another whole show of stuff for you like meeting bob clampett and uh carl barks way back when
1: so we can plan another one we can plan another one right away i just have to yeah so anyway wonderful i think thank you guys and uh i'll just wrap it up here and saying thank you again for another episode or being another episode or watching another episode of fun ideas podcast and this is mark arnold and we'll see you next time Thank you for listening,
0: and thank you, Harry McCracken and Camden Spees, for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 209 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner, Goldfarb, and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. out